NFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. All right, welcome back to the AFL Mojo Sports Network. This is round 15, and I'm joined today for the very first time by Yuri Bilicic and Nathan Jennings. How are we, boys? Hi, Julian. Hi, Nathan. Great to be on as always. Yes, very good for the three of us to finally be on together. It's taken a while, but we got there. We've been uh, communicating for a while now, but finally our schedules have aligned and we get to talk footy and that's exactly what we're going to do. No long intros, no mucking around. We're just going to get straight into it. We've got six games to talk about today, starting with one that starts in about 35 minutes. So we're going to kick off the round talking about Geelong versus Melbourne down at GMHBA Stadium. Boys, we're looking at the teams and we know Dangerfield out with that injury, which I believe was a what, bruised rib, I, I think he had, and um, turned out to be a collapsed lung. And um, for Melbourne, they've omitted Tomlinson and brought in Petty. Stanley comes in for the Cats as well. Yuri, what do you think about this game? How does it play out? Oh, man, it's going to be another captivating game, right, Julian? Especially GMHBA Stadium, where Melbourne have only won there three times since about 2005. And, of course, that brilliant performance back in 2021 where Max Gore kicked the match winner after the siren. It's going to be, again, I think this is most curious, and I think for all 17 teams who have played it, the Cadre, right? In terms of the dimensions of the field, teams can easily get sucked into playing this chip game and eventually the ground becomes very small. And that's what Geelong like to do. They like to press the ground, which makes it difficult to access your back 50 with with relative ease, shall I say. I think the other part as well is with Clayton Oliver not being there again, that blister which was clearly hampering him and I thought he may come back into the side after I think I'm pretty sure he recovered from that hamstring injury. So I don't think they're going to feel his absence yet again. We saw what happened right in the King's birthday clash against Collingwood. Jack Viney, thought he, we almost thought he did his shoulder right during yeah. the first half, that collision, the incident, and he was holding his right shoulder. I thought, oh, no, here we go, AC joints. And then he comes back and he finishes what with 32 <laughs> disposals, 11 clearances, and I think there was one battering play he had as well going for a contested ball, which basically sums him up right throughout his yeah. illustrious career. And Christian Petrarca was phenomenal as well. Lockie Hunter too. The forward line we've seen this season as well, Julian and Nathan, I think is far more different in terms of what Coach Simon Goodwin wants to do. There's no real set key forward, although Jacob Van Ruin, since making his debut in round three against Sydney, is just he's had an outstanding first season. He's He provides that aerial focal point. And we thought Ben Brown, who played the first three games this season, might get a look back in it. Again, that's not to be. And with Harrison Petty coming back into the side as well, I think, again, he's played majority of this season forward, but I'll be interested to see what they actually do from the opening bounce, whether they do shift him down back again tonight to go alongside Stephen May and Jake Lever. So that's going to be the most yeah, curious part to it all. And Dangerfield's one. We saw last Thursday night, I thought that was a hit pointer initially. And then afterwards, the confirmation that he had that collapsed lung and mm. rib damage, that was significant. So mm. depending on how long he's out for us, well, Geelong can't afford that in the way too, although they did get back last week with Max Holmes and Mitch Duncan from their respective hamstring and foot injury. So, again, this game's going to be close as it's been with the two sides. And we've seen many epic encounters between the teams. 2018 with Zach Tui kicking the winning goal after the siren. So I can't see this game being anything but close. I just think, again, the side of Melbourne's contested game and they've just been absolutely animals at it for the last five seasons. 
they get on top of there yet again. I think just can't see where Geelong can generate from that contested ball to get easy uncontested possessions and give Hawkins and Cameron those opportunities because, again, Cameron's been well held these last five weeks since Geelong have only won one of their past five games. So mm. I've got Melbourne for my winning this by about three goals. Nice. Well, you talked about Harrison Petty. He's lifted at centre. He's listed at centre half forward, but we know obviously that um, this can change. Um, Nathan, what do you think about Melbourne? How do they contain Hawkins, Cameron, Rowan, and Stengel? That's a pretty solid forward line. I know Yuri talked about the contested possessions being one of Melbourne's strengths, but looking at the team lineups, is there anything that stands out for you? Yeah, I think in the matchup with Hawkins and. Um... And Cameron specifically, you know, I think it's lucky that Melbourne have got two of the most elite defenders in the league with May and Lever. And I think, you know, looking through the week, Melbourne has sort of realised how important of a game this this is. One coming off the bye, we know the stats of the teams coming off the bye isn't great. Um, and quite uniquely as well, Melbourne made the trip down to Geelong yesterday and actually opted to train um, at Cadinia Park yesterday and stay down there as well. So I think that sort of just proves one how important of a game this is, but two, also how tricky of a road trip it can be, even if you are from Melbourne. Um, so I think from that perspective, it's, um, you know, probably favouring Melbourne a little bit, the fact they've done that extra work. I think from Melbourne's perspective as well, um, the role of Cosie Pickett has to sort of, you know, shine through tonight. He's been very, very quiet, along with a lot of the other Melbourne small forwards, Cade Chandler as well. He started the season well and it's sort of dropped mm-hmm. off. So I think sort of the impact the small forwards have tonight um, for Melbourne is going to be really, really key. And I think if Geelong have any chance of winning tonight, Jeremy Cameron has to return to the form that we saw in the first probably nine or ten weeks of the season. He's dropped off significantly in the last probably four to six weeks, mm. um, which has coincided in Geelong's drop in form as well. So I think, you know, for Geelong to have any chance of winning tonight, Jeremy Cameron has to step up and sort of play that style. Otherwise, I reckon it's going to be a long road back for Geelong to try and make finals this year. You're right. A lot of people are talking about getting on them for missing the top eight in their betting. And uh, <laughs> this is a huge game for both teams. Um yeah, wow. Speaking of the lineups uh, a little bit, I've noticed Mitch Duncan, he's listed in the centre square. I don't know if, again, these teams don't reflect actually what happens in the game, but I know I told our producers that we'd have an element of fantasy on this show and Mitch Duncan priced at 700k as a defender who likes to lurk around DeLong's backline. I <laughs> I have big hopes for him. I brought him in. I think he's going to lurk around there and get another 100 today. So looking forward to watching him in the side. Um Nathan, just really quickly before we move on, how do you see the ruck battle playing out between, obviously we've got the big Gorn and Grundy combo and Reece Stanley's just been brought in. Blixar's went into the ruck a little bit last week. He's listed on ball and we know he can play that tagging role as well. How do you see that matchup going? Well, I think regardless of, you know, what the other team's got, it's always going to be difficult coming up against Gorn and Grundy. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, I think that the fact that, uh, Big Sars has now got help in an established ruckman and Stanley would definitely help. Obviously, it's been hit and miss. Asava Radigalea has been in and out with the injury. John Segler, the same as well. So I think at least having that consistency across the board with Stanley being the number one ruckman and then Big Sars sort of um, dropping out when need be, but predominantly on ball is going to help. Look, it's a tough job. No team really can match in the league. So I think whoever they come up against, it's always going to be a long night um, when you play against the Melbourne Rucks, unfortunately. Cannot wait to see how that battle unfolds. All right, we're moving to Friday Night Football at Marvel Stadium. Speaking of great ruckmen in the competition, Rowan Marshall playing his 100th game. I am a Saints fan, so a bit of bias there. We've got Crouch playing his 150th as well. Ben Padding comes back into the side after being omitted, and Hugh McCluggage, Hugh McCluggage is a big win back in the side for Brisbane Lions. Out goes Cooper Sharman and Seb Ross for the Saints, and then Callum Archie and Darcy Fort for the Lions. A couple 
players that I wanted to note that have retained their spots. Um, Jasper Fletcher for the Brisbane Lions has kept his spot after a pretty good debut. 14 touches, a goal, two. He almost could have had three goals. And Kai Lohman, who kicked seven goals in the twos for the Lions about three or four weeks ago, he's still on the side. So interested to see if he can get on the scoreboard this week. And for the Saints, I thought um, Sharman was actually quite good when he came on as a sub, but Patton's been brought in. Um, that must be to call one of the small forwards for the Lions. Yuri, I'll start with you. What are your keynotes or matchups for this round that you need to look out for? I think we're going to see one particular matchup that we saw last season, Julian, with Marcus Winhager and Lockie Neal, and that worked to mm. exceptional effect too. Neal was held to just 16 touches that oh, wow. night, which Max King, unfortunately, didn't have his kicking boots on. And I think unfairly in a way he was criticised for his goal kicking. I think he kicked, yeah, five behinds and most of them were pretty gettable shots too because St Kilda did make that run during the fourth quarter and then just all those missed opportunities came to came back to haunt them. I think, again, with tomorrow night's encounter as well is will St Kilda look to change in terms of their attacking game plan, in terms of not being conservative when they have to be, but also taking that extra risk by changing that angle kick back down to the corridor and using it a lot more because I feel, I thought probably mate early this season they did do that times, but they haven't done it frequently enough. And Brisbane, we saw it last season, there was a period of time where they can be found out napping defensively if you can get them in those one-on-one situations and not allow for Harris Andrews to roam freely. So that's going to be the biggest part for St Kilda tomorrow night because the last meeting between the sides of Docklands round 22 last season, they probably fell into that trap probably too many times, although, yes, they did have their opportunities, but that's definitely going to be an area to look for. I think the other part of it as well is with the Brandon Starsvich matchup, who he gets. And I think I spoke about it last week on the solo podcast, who was probably going to get Tom Papley, which did come to fruition and did an outstanding job on Papley, who's arguably one of the most dynamic small forwards in the game. So probably look for him to either get Jack Higgins or Dan Butler for mine, I think, with that matchup alone. And the other part as well, because last Saturday night's encounter right with the Tigers was rain-soaking laden from basically midway through the second quarter and being under the roof of Docklands where Saints do enjoy that speed on the ball when they do get it, and Brisbane as well, because they've had success against St Kilda probably in the last three, four seasons under the roof at Docklands. So, again, with Ross's teams, as you know very well, Julian, it, it's all about that grind, that style of game where it's very low scoring. They want to, St. Saint, Saint Kilda want to keep opposition sides to under 10 goals. But I think with the way that they've got to play, yes, they're going to, they're going to give up some points in the way too, although they've arguably been the best defensive team this season. But with Brisbane as well, and their fourth line, and with Joe Danaher there, Eric Hipwood, Charlie Cameron, and Cam Rayner playing forward for these last handful of weeks since starting off half back in the early rounds this season, Lincoln McCarthy. That's going to be the real stretch barometer for Callum Wilkie, Josh Battle, Dougal Howard to really, really lock down upon as well. And Liam Stock as well, whether he gets one of those small forwards. So that's going to be an area to really keep a lookout for. It is a tough forward line that Saints need to try and contain. Nathan, uh, what are your points for this match? Is there anything that you have noted? And I'll ask you a few things as well, but anything that stands out for you? Uh, I think it's probably the uh, Brisbane, from a Brisbane perspective, Coleman, 
um, Jasper Fletcher and Dev Robertson all holding their spot. Mm. I think Brisbane are in this interesting phase now where they've got some older guys that probably aren't quite performing and they need to get these young kids in while still maintaining that top four level. Um, mm. So I'm actually really happy that they've all held their spot this week. Um, but I think probably the biggest thing with Brisbane, and we've all spoken about it all throughout the year, is can they win on the road in these big games? And that's constantly been the question around Brisbane and their credentials as a top four and a top two and a premiership team. Can you win these big games um, on the road? They they failed the litmus test earlier in the season when they played the Bulldogs. Um, And this is now their test now to say, uh, can we win against good teams on the road? And I think if they do, then we've really got to start saying, okay, are they getting past this little, you know, voice in the back of their head sort of a thing and shaking the monkey off their back? Probably the other thing as well is, um, interestingly, looking at the lineups named on the bench, Jack Steele. Now, This has been spoken about a lot um, over the last couple of weeks around, is he injured? What's wrong with him? Does Ross even know what's going on? He's made some interesting comments in the press as well. Um, He's a great player, Captain Courageous, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, are they playing him because he's the captain or are they playing him because he's fit and healthy and he's ready to go? He's looking proppy. He's looking off the pace, you know, Tackles have been broken often, which never happens. Um, so there's got to be a lot of questions um, asked around that. And is that something that the explosive Brisbane midfield can potentially, um, you know, expose, I guess? And then probably my last fact is what is quite funny. We mentioned it earlier on around Win Hager going to Lockie Neal. I might have to consider my trades in this week because I'm bringing Win Hager in, but I'm also <laughs> wanting to bring Lockie Neal in. So I'm in a bit of a conundrum now as to what I do. So I might have to now revisit that because, you know, Win Hager might score well uh, going to Neal and tackling well, and tagging and whatnot. But is that even going to impact what Neal's score is? I'm not too sure. It probably is. I brought in Windiger last week, actually. I got ahead of the uh, the trend, and I think you're right. The more midfield time he gets, he can rack up those tackles and those Dream Team points. You're probably right. But Neil's been breaking a few tags this year. That that game last year, I remember, that was an absolute nightmare for Neil. Hopefully he can respond. My question was going to be about Jack Steele. Um, so you've, you've nailed that one. He has to respond tomorrow. Um, just even with some tackling effort would be nice to see. Um, I imagine with the microscope over him, he's going to come back and, and have a huge game. Well, let's, we can only hope. All right, Nathan, I'm going to stick with you because you're on a roll here. We're moving over to the SCG on Saturday, 4.35 p.m. We've got Sydney Swans versus West Coast Eagles. I don't know if we want to spend a lot of time on this game, but <laughs> Sydney Swans, I don't know the last time this happened. They're actually paying a dollar one to win. Now, I mean, no game is a walkover in football, but, I mean, this does look like it's set up for Sydney to win. They've got a couple of big ins as well. Callum Mills, Isaac Heaney, and Logan McDonald come from the side. And for West Coast, Elijah Hewitt, who got knocked out by Jordan Degoe, comes back in. The debut in a Ruckman forward, Jack Williams, Liam Duggan and Tom Barras come back into the side. How do we see this one playing out? Is this just going to be, a, you know, an absolute belter? Or does West Coast, you know, show a bit of fight like they did against Collingwood? I, th- I think until uh, the teams came out, weirdly I thought, is this a game that West Coast could steal? Obviously now with the ends of, of Mills and Heaney specifically, um, it probably does make that pass a little bit harder and Sydney's depth is, you know, that much greater. But I don't know, like Barras and Duggan um, back into that team does add that more senior seniority Sorry, that West Coast are missing. Um, I'm not going to overanalyze this by any stretch of the imagination. They're both not great teams. Sydney did though show a fair bit last week against Brisbane at the Gabba, which I thought was quite impressive. Um, so I am expecting Sydney to win. I'm probably more so looking out for as a fantasy coach, 
what Callum Mills does and what his role is because I think that's going to have a lot of implications, one, on where Sydney does go this year as to whether they continue investing in the kids or whether they sort of try and make a late push for finals. But also, as we sort of know from a fantasy perspective, Callum Mills is severely underpriced. He's probably in the 740, roughly, K range, and he has a break even of about 150, which means he's going to be under 700K next week. And... um, is definitely going to be a player that I'm going to look to get in. But look, from a results perspective, I'm not going to overthink this, and I think Sydney win at home. Funny you mentioned that. As you said that, I just got a text from my twin brother who said, Mills, break even 148. So your timing couldn't be more immaculate. <laughs> I think we're all looking at him. We're very keen to see how it goes. And this is a, a time where they'll have Luke Parker, Chad Warner, Mills, Rowbottom, and then also one of our favourites, Angus Sheldry, who's just coming mm-hmm. to the side. So I, I imagine his time on ground is still going to be around 55%, Sheldrick that is. But, yeah, really interesting to see how Mills goes um, returning from injury. Yuri, what do you want to point out for this game? I think as well, Julian, I was looking at percentages early this afternoon and there are a cluster of teams where their percentages are about 95 to 100 and Sydney sit at roughly around 98%. So it's a must that they get percentage points. They have to win by 10 goals. If not, then, okay, it probably won't be the desired result. So it was very similar to what Carlton had to do back in round seven against West Coast. And again, you touched upon Angus Sheldrick, Julian, and he was fantastic last Friday night against Brisbane. The 19 disposals kicked those couple of goals to get Sydney back into the game midway through the third quarter. And he's provided that additional contested bull. And there was something that he was known for coming out of Claremont in the Waffle League and to really replicate that onto the stage where Sydney pride themselves on that contested ball, I think is just another dimension to the Swans midfield kit. And having, of course, Logan McDonald return from that serious ankle injury too, at least give additional support for Joel and Marty up forward. So again, wins a win like this can galvanise their season and just be interesting enough to see what West Coast do in terms of how long they can be competitive for because I think that's all Eagles fans will be looking for right after that absolutely, I don't want to use the term insipid, but it was a laborious, lifeless performance against Adelaide to lose by 122 points and mm. one of the worst hidings that the club's had in its proud mm. history. I think the other one was a 135-point demolition in the hands of Geelong back in round 13, 2008. And I think the other stat I was looking at as well, Julian, in terms of West Coast 100-point hidings, there was one back in season 2001 and the other one was last year, of course. So there have only been about three seasons in West Coast history where they've had two or more games where they've lost by three figures. So it's very uncharted waters for, again, a club who demands success in a way and is going to have to undergo this rebuild for the next at least five to six seasons. So how they sort of approach it from the opening bounce in terms of their competitiveness on field as well and just give you a crack because we've seen guys such as Tim Kelly have arguably another outstanding season. He's arguably leading West Coast best and fairest at this stage. He's averaging just over 28 disposals a game. Oscar Allen for such limited supply that West Coast again with 43 and a half inside 50 entries per game and only, what, eight eight inside 50 marks per game. So he can hold his head up high. And those two have just been outstanding for what has been yet another nightmare of a season. Of course, the well-documented injury front, which is as longer than the hospital ward. So again, <laughs> as long as they are competitive, that's all that the Eagles fans will be looking for. And if they lose by only five, six goals, then can at least 
be commendable for that <laughs> way. But again, you don't know exactly how Sydney are going to approach this in terms of how ruthless they have to be to bump up that percentage of 98 and get over 100. So again, those are just a few of the points to look at before the bounce. Great analysis from both of you. I didn't mean to laugh here, but it's just funny. I look at a team with Elliot Yo, Andrew Gaff, Tim Kelly, and Luke Shuey, and we're telling them six goals and they've done a good job. So it's interesting how times have changed. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Moving on to Saturday night football. What should be an interesting game? Fremantle versus Essendon at Optus Stadium. Fremantle coming off a really disappointing loss against the Giants. Essendon in some pretty good form um, up to beating Carlton. Frederick and Sean Darcy come back into the side. Obviously, Sean Darcy is a huge in for the Dockers. But probably more of a big in is Essendon having Darcy Parrish and Jake Kelly back in. Darcy Parrish is a big in for them. Um, out, There's not many noticeable or big noteworthy names that have gone out. Nick Hine got omitted. Sam Draper's been injured, which is actually a pretty big out. Um, let's start with you, Yuri. What are your thoughts on this game? Do Fremantle respond given it's up to stadium or do the Red Hot Bombers continue their streak? I feel as though Essendon might just get the points here, Julian. I feel in the way that... Their footy from 12 months ago, and we have talked about it on a couple of occasions on this show, it holds up in terms of the defensive aspect side of things. And that has been a real key area that Brad Scott has brought upon the club prior to taking over all those months ago and instilling that defence-first ethos and restricting teams in terms of their easy scoring opportunities. So they're currently fifth at the moment, only allowing 81.3 points per game, and you have to look at what their back six have done with Brandon Zerk Thatcher. He's most likely going to get the job on Jai Amos on Saturday night. Mason Redman with his carry and meters gained. Andrew McGrath moving down back. Nick, well, should I say Nick Hind as well, but he's sort of in and out of that back six. And, of course, Jordan Ridley being that great intercept marker that he is. Dyson Heppel going back to his accustomed half-back position where he first began probably his first couple of seasons with Essendon back in seasons 2011 and 2012. The ruck, yes, that is a loss in itself with Sam Draper, and he was battling a bit of a hip pointer in a way. So that's a major out for the Bombers. But Nick Bryan has shown plenty of promise as well also at VFL level, and to accommodate Andrew Phillips. So I don't see them being heavily beaten by the combination of Sean Darcy and Luke Jackson. They always give a good account of themselves on that front. And the forward line as well with Sam Wiedemann and as well Peter Wright making his return a couple of weeks ago and kicking five goals mm-hmm. against Carlton really shapes up in terms of that focal point for Essendon going forward in their attacking 50. And at ground level as well, Jai Menzi, who's been an outstanding pickup since being one of their mid-season draftees and the midfield as well, Ben Hobbs and Sam Durham stepping up in Darcy Parrish's absence. Of course, Parrish coming back for this encounter after missing those five weeks with a calf injury. I think as well with Fremantle too, it was one of their worst performances right under Justin Longmill to lose by 70 points and be smashed in, well, clearances losing by minus 10, losing contested ball by about 20 and then losing inside 50 count by minus 24 doesn't really stack up too well. But again, the rainy conditions as well are going to play a factor. And Fremantle did have those problems last season. There was those back-to-back encounters against Gold Coast and Collingwood where they were found wanting. And Essendon don't mind the rain so much as well. So I'll be curious to find out more how the Dockers do handle the wet because it did become it did become a problem against Richmond a couple of weeks ago. So again, 
how Fremail get more contributions as well, not just from Brayshaw and Caleb Sarong, but also just within the forward line as well, those quartet of smalls, which have been quiet for the last couple of weeks. And Michael Frederick, who was a late out against the Giants, Michael Walters as well there, Lockie Schultz and Sam Switkowski. If those four step up, hit the scoreboard, contribute, say, seven to eight goals between them, Fremail are going to be every chance of taking home the, the valuable and much-needed four points. Absolutely. Nathan, I just um, want you to touch on SM for a little bit. As a fantasy man, can you try and include Nick Martin in your little spiel here? Because it's just on fire at the moment and I want to bring him in. T- talk to us about Essen. They- they're coming into, I think, of four wins in a row. Um, interesting enough, look- looking at their games ahead, if we if we put this game aside, after the Dockers, they've got the Power, Adelaide Crows, Geelong Cats, Bulldogs, then Swans. So talk about must-win games. I'm sure Essen and uh, know what they have ahead of them and hence making this game such a much must-win game for them. Nathan, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, well, I think as you mentioned, not just this one, but the next five is very much a credentials validation period mm. for the Bombers. Obviously, eight and five, good start of the year, but you'd hate to then sort of fall in a hole um, like we've seen seen teams do in previous after the buyers. So this is massively important, probably just as important for Fremantle, but I think... You know, have showed promise um, over the last couple of weeks. The, the biggest in for them over the last few weeks has been Peter Wright. The fact that he came in and kicked five in his first game after you know months in the sideline is you know a credit to him and the player that he can potentially be when healthy. Um, as you sort of mentioned, Nick Martin, you know we thought the breakout rookie year he had was sensational. The patch of form that he's in at the moment, sort of finding that wing spot as his own has been really, really impressive. Not just from an output on the field, but obviously from a fantasy perspective as well, under 800,000 as well. He's a great value pick there. Um, the one that I'm really looking forward to is, is the midfield battle. We mentioned about Darcy Parrish coming back into the fold, matching up or with um, Zach Merritt in there. To go against the, the, the young dynamic duo of Sarong and Brayshaw, you know, very fantasy re- relevant there for all four players potentially. Um, and then you sprinkle someone like a Nat Fife in there um, for that seniority. And then from an S perspective, Ben Hobbs starting on the bench as listed mm. at the moment. But, fantasy relevant, but also someone who's really come into his own over the last month or so with that opportunity uh, with Parrish being out and Bill and Chill as well. So hopefully his role stays the same and he does get that midfield minutes. But I think probably back to what year it was, I'm probably going to disagree. I think this is probably Fremantle's to lose. Um, The inclusion of Sean Darcy is huge. Mm. Physically, he's the most dominant ruckman in the league. And I think we've sort of seen a decline in Fremantle's contested all um, game over the last month when he's been out. Luke Jackson's been admirable, but he's not the ruckman that Sean Darcy is and doesn't provide what Sean Darcy can do. Jackson can jump through the roof, but Darcy physically will, you know, overpower his opponents time after time after time. And the fact that um, Sam Draper's not playing is a massive win Mm. straight away for Freo in that ruck department. And whether Phillips can run with, you know, those two big boys all day, that's going to be a really good battle to watch. Um, and then I think the exciting part about this is, you know, the match winner in Jake Stringer. Um, he's always the X factor. He's a bit like a Jordan Ngoi and those sorts of players where when he's on and the conditions are right and the moments are there, whether he takes it or not. And this game could potentially come down to those moments as well, I think. But probably the one other one to sort of point out from a Fremantle perspective is the omission of um, O'Driscoll, which I sort of, he has been sort of, you know, up and down with his form and quite inefficient over the last couple of weeks, but a very solid wingman um, for Fremantle throughout the year and even last year as well. They've currently got Liam Henry and um, 
uh, Frederick Mayton on the wings. I don't think they're going to be the sort of guys to play on the wing the whole game. So I'm looking at Neil Erasmus and Matt Johnson to really step up as their two young rookie players and make those spots their own. They've sort of been sprinkled in the midfield a little bit, but this is the sort of game when they can make a name for themselves. And I'm actually looking for them to play big roles out on those wings in this game. I think Fremantle will get the job done. Because if not, then I'm probably going to put a line through the fact that they're just too far behind um, and their percentage is so You both make fantastic cases. It's such a hard game to tip. I really don't know which way to go. Nathan, you're on a roll. I'd love to spend a bit more time on this game because this is probably, well, I hope it it, it becomes one of the matches of the round. It's Collingwood versus Adelaide Crows at the MCG on Sunday at 110. Now, we know with the Sunday teams, these teams uh, include their extended interchange. So with these names that I'm about to mention, some of them will not feature. Finlay McRae, Jack Ginevan, Jamie Elliott, and Jeremy Howe. We know Elliott and Howe will most likely feature. And then for the Adelaide Crows, Braden Cook, Harry Schoenberg, and Lachlan Gallant come back to the side. Milestone game, Jordan Dawson, the captain, playing his 100th game. Nathan, you're on a roll. Talk to us about this one. A Collingwood, too good, too strong. Or do Adelaide show some fights? Look, this one this one really hurts me because, you know, my boys versus a, a team that's absolutely flying. You know, obviously a little little bit of a blimp on the record on uh, King's birthday the other week against Melbourne. But again, it was a four-point game. They were right there knocking on the door to steal the four points and they almost did. So, look, you know, I think the inclusions of, of Elliot and Jeremy Howe, you know, one up in the forward line, one of the back line is massive for Collingwood. You know, it's crazy to think they've had Jeremy Howe missing since round mm. one and he's such a crucial player for them. Um, and from a Crows perspective, I guess, you know, the hurt of what happened in, I think it was round seven or eight, whatever it was, uh, when Collingwood came from three goals back to steal a one-point victory at the Adelaide yeah. Oval, you know, that stung the club and that stung the club for quite a while. So, you know, from that perspective, you'd really like to see, um, you know, a response. And whether that's them going to Melbourne and winning or at least putting up a really good showing, um, I, I think it's required from them. They've sort of... Um, been put in the Brisbane category a little bit of being a flat track bullies can only win at home sort of a thing and they've been so dominant at home and these sorts of games are very very important for young developing sides to get that confidence that they can go on the road against good teams and get the job done. Personally I, I just don't think they're quite there yet. It's been an exciting week for the club with all their young kids re-signing and you know it's all kumbaya at the moment but I don't think as a squad they're quite there yet to step onto the MCG against the premiership favourite, I'd suggest at the moment, and take the victory. But I think from a Crows perspective, if they can put their best foot forward and scare them and show the competition that they are real, and that's a tick in the in the box of the Crows. And from Collingwood, you know, the show continues for them. Um, their box office, their mm. balance across the board, they play exciting football. You know, someone like a Pat Lipinski who struggled to get his spot on the team with injury and, you know, just form alone, he came in and made an immediate impact. Baycott's boys, they're just brilliant. And someone like a Scott Penderbury, who's re-signed on for next year to hopefully play game 400, is still getting it done time after time after time. The one thing I am looking forward to is how they do continue to fill the void of Jordan going not being there. And we sort of saw a little bit um, King's birthday. I am intrigued to now see what that looks like on Sunday against the Crows. But for me, it breaks my heart, but I think Collingwood will win this game. Thank you, right. Speaking of the uh, absence of Jordan to go, I think Tom Mitchell has stepped up lately. He's starting to really gel and they really value his contested possessions and clearances. I really hope for Adelaide that Ben Keyes plays on the ball. This has to be one of those games where he's needed in the midfield the full game. Yuri, what are your thoughts on this matchup, this very highly anticipated, excited matchup? I think for Adelaide, Julian, and Nathan touched upon it extremely well too, is about what they do on the road because they've only won 
what two road games this season and the MCG hasn't been kind to them and they got smashed last year when the sides met back in round two of last season. And But apart from that epic round seven counter this year, which they'll basically you could say they were on the wrong end of the stick to lose that game, right? They were up 26 points early in the first half and then to lose by that one solitary point in the end when Steel Sidebottom kicked that behind and John Noble kicked that unbelievable goal with I think it was about two minutes left in the game. So they did everything right that evening, Adelaide. The biggest question now is taking their incredible Adelaide Oval form on the road. And this where Collingwood on those wide expanses of the MCG absolutely revel in those in those conditions. And I think it's, it's going to be cloudy in a way too, but also when they have, of course, Nick or Josh Dacos running off half back and giving that carry, Isaac Quain or John Noble, those two can also provide it as well. You touched upon Ben Keyes, Julian, and I think, again, a couple of episodes ago, we touched upon where he should play in terms of that tag as forward role or even with in the midfield. Do they at times throw him on a Tom Mitchell or do they throw him up forward on either an Isaac Quain or a John Noble. I think that's something that's going to be interesting enough to figure out for the Crows coaching staff with Matthew Nixon, how they sort of adjust it. Because when Collingwood do get the ball and advance through with the territory, which they like to gain right away, they're incredibly hard to stop. And I think the other part of it as well for Adelaide as well is with Collingwood in terms of, what they do with the intercept market of Darcy Moore. And I think this is just a recollection of what sides just keep falling into the same spiderweb trap of kicking the ball high where Darcy Moore is exactly in that same position time and time again and clucking intercept marks. And they can't afford to fall into that trap. Otherwise, it's just they aren't going to generate those easy opportunities, which they've been doing this season, right, Julian and Nathan? So that's going to be the most, key crucial cog for the Crows when they do go forward inside 50. If they get those entries spot on, they're going to be right in the game. But if they don't, then it's going to be easy for Collingwood to repel and absolutely hurt them with their brilliant counter-attacking football. And the other part as well is, I think this is most interesting as well with in terms of pressure and tackling. And it does surprise me in a way that Collingwood doesn't sit in the top five for number of tackles, but it doesn't matter too much in a way because it's that perceived pressure that they bring across to close a portion of the ground where the ball carrier eventually has to make that additional handball, which isn't there, or that additional kick, which also isn't there. And that's what causes the turnover. That's where Bobby Hill and Jack Ginevan get out in the slingshot. Bo McCreary, the other one of their trio of small forwards, get behind the opposition defence and catch them on the back foot. So I think Adelaide can't, afford to go into that safe mode in terms of being conservative with where they want to go, but also gaining territory and also giving those clean opportunities to Darcy Fogarty and Taylor Walker. And then when the ball does hit at ground level, Langford, Joshua Shelley and Isaac Rankine and Luke Pedler to do what they do best in front of the sticks. So I think that's key for Adelaide in this game and Collingwood. Well, can Adelaide as well have that blueprint of what Melbourne did too and try at least dominate in contested ball because Melbourne won that count, I think, by about, was it plus 20 a couple of weeks ago. So just look for that area as well where Adelaide may be able to at least exploit Collingwood in that way. 
That's up to Dawson leading keys, hopefully. All right, moving on to Sunday afternoon, Gold Coast Suns versus Hawthorne at Heritage Bank Stadium. There are so many ins and outs for this game. I don't even think I can uh, pronounce half the name. So I'm just going to uh, just talk about the no- most noticeable one, which is James Sicily out for three weeks with that suspension. Tried to challenge it, but was unsuccessful with a dangerous tackle. Um, we'll stick with you, Nathan. We've got a couple of minutes left and then we'll, we'll wrap up. This is a big one for Gold Coast after, I suppose, you know, losing miserably against Carlton and then Hawthorne, you know, coming off such a big win before the bye. You know, I think Gold Coast go into this as favourites, but Hawthorne are starting to gel a little bit. They're starting to look good. Yeah. It, I think we fall into this, into this trap every single year with Gold yeah. Coast where they show us just enough to get excited and go, maybe, just maybe they'll play finals. And then they drop games, mm. and then and then they miss finals, and then Stuart Dew's job comes under under scrutiny, <laughs> and we go through the same cycle every single year. And you know, um, as you sort of said, Hawthorne are coming into this game in good form. Obviously, again off the buy, so we know what that looks like. But mm. you know, such momentum before the buy, beating Brisbane, um, you know, at the MCG, and it was actually a really really good performance from them. But I think you know, you know where Hawthorne are in their rebuild and on the ladder, and you know. They're doing very, very well for our expectations of them for this year. But I think this game is all about Gold Coast. And, you know, this is the sort of game that if you want to play finals or, or have any hope of being there or thereabouts um, at the back end of the season, they have to win. Um, admittedly, they haven't played a, um, a Heritage Bank for, you know, I think five or six rounds now um, because obviously they did their two-week home stint in Darwin and they had the bye and then they went to the MCG last week. So crazy. I, th- I think it's, it's ridiculous to think about that they haven't played at home for so long. But yeah. I think there's got to be some form of rejuvenation there, um, you know, playing back at home. Um, I think for me, the biggest one that I'm looking for is a bounce-back game. One from a fantasy perspective, but also to just impact on game is Matt Rao. And Matt Rao sort of, you know, eating grass and, you know, <laughs> being at one with earth and whatever else that he does. That's great. But I think for me now, he went through that real purple patch where he was playing great football, contested oh, yeah. piece, you know, taking out the likes of Bonton Pelly and Dawson mm. and, you know, all the big balls through the midfield. So I think, you know, this is the sort of game where slightly younger, inexperienced midfield, someone like Matt Rao really needs to sort of put his imprint on the game early and say, no, 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 these are my clearances. I'm winning this ball and really sort of propel Gold Coast forward because that was the biggest thing that was lacking last week as they struggled to, you know, win the ball, both him and Anderson at times, and Carlton sort of found some mojo. And, you know, before you knew it, the game was over. So I think from a Gold Coast perspective, it's really, really important they win that or at the source that they are capable of doing to then give, you know, um, their big boys up front, Kaz Bowl and, um, and King, an opportunity to fly and their smalls a chance to sort of, you know, mop up as well. I'm picking Gold Coast. They need a win. Otherwise, Monday, get ready for Stuart Deuce, job and threat, Damien Hardwick, where you at. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're spot on. And that there's huge midfield battle. And I thought watching the Gold Coast Carlton game, the Carlton midfielders, Chera, Cripps, Walsh, they just, and Doherty as well. They just look too much for Raul Anderson and Swallow. And then I look at Hawthorne and, you know, Yuri, I'll throw to you in a sec. We love Connor Nash, obviously, and what he brings. They've got Connor Nash, John Newcomb, Will Day, James Warpool. Like their midfield is starting to look quite good on paper. Um, and that's a big, you know, that's a big list for Gold Coast to try and quell. So, Yuri, before we wrap up, what, what are your final thoughts on this game? What do you think? Um, are you with Nathan that the Gold Coast must win this game, that they're looking like their early favorites? What do you think? Oh, certainly for sure, Julian. It is must win after what happened last week. And that second quarter was 
pretty paramount right of what was to transpire for the rest of the game in terms of the center clearances and with Walsh and Chera, there was that particular I think there was a couple of plays in terms of the center square where both him and Chera just completely waltzed out the middle and there was no pressure whatsoever and it was almost equivalent to an under 12s game in a way right it just that lack of perceived pressure no man on man it was none of that at all and they can't afford that against Hawthorne because after what they dished up in that superb win over Brisbane and that fantastic comeback fourth quarter over St Kilda and now basically winning what two of their last three games, they're, they're not to be taken lightly now, Hawthorne. And Gold Coast find themselves in this situation that is very reminiscent of last year. They had those close games. They, of course, beat Richmond with no Anderson's kick after the siren. They lost to Port Adelaide by a couple of points. But it's almost shades of 2014 when they were right in the thick of the top eight hunt. And then, of course, Gary Ablett does his shoulder, the Brent McCaffrey tackle, and their season goes downhill from there. And they don't they don't have a lengthy injury list, though, Julian and Nathan. That's the thing now. Yeah. So there is no excuse in a way for them not to come up Sunday in the Twilight game and think, well, we're going to win this by six, seven goals because Hawthorne's record doesn't truly reflect what they've been producing. And they've only, what, won three games this season? But it's not a team that is mm. the people saying before the start of the season, oh, the rebuild, you had to get rid of Tom Mitchell, Jago, Mira, Jack Gunston. Oh, no, oh, their average age is, what, 22 years of age? And where do they go from here? Well, the pieces are there. They're just building games into these youngsters now. And there is that, I saw, you think in the way dread for Gold Coast if they do lose this, but they've got to get more contributors than Raul and Anderson because Raul, I think, only had 20 touches last week. Anderson only had, I think it was roughly around 20 touches as well, and they are one of the very few contributors on that bleak afternoon. So, again, what do they do in terms of their forward attack as well? Jack Lukosius, he hits the scoreboard, which he's had an excellent season, Julian and Nathan, and also with Ben King, he's had an excellent season as well. I think he's kicked, what, 30 goals this season. You have Levi Casbold who's basically at third toll. So they're basically playing a three-toll prong attack. They have to use that to their advantage, right, with James Sisley being out. Try and put the pressure on the James Blank down back as well and really stretch that horse on defense because I'm pretty sure Chancroft Jath is returning for this game as well. He's been out for the last month. So they'll give Hawthorne that well, supply of halfback, which they've already might, been getting anyway. Sorry to cut so, you off, Yuri. They said they might be back yep. next week now, but um, next yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. That's a that's a that's what they're missing as well. So, so yeah, and also midfield too, Julian. And it's not a small midfield now that Hawthorne got. They got big bodies there, and Warple's mm. no no small guy. He's six foot one. You have Cotton and Ash, who's six foot six. Yeah, Will Day's about six foot four in the old <laughs> height metric terms. That's what one ninety two, and Will and Cotton Nash is about one ninety six. So. Mm. They've got to match it right in with them. And it just, it's not going to be surprising if this game goes down to the final two minutes or so, just depending on how Gold Coast want to take the game by a scruff of the neck and really play some incentive and getting back on the right track. So that's on my opinion. But again, this is just, it's a must for Gold Coast. It's a must. There's just no way going about it. And I think maybe just to pull a stat, which probably doesn't really have much use in a way, this is. This is going to be a 17th meeting between these sides, and this is only going to be the fourth time that the sides have played at formerly Metricon Stadium. Right. Wow. Where'd you pluck that one yeah. from? <laughs> oh, it's just on the head-to-head tables. Oh, right. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Okay, there you go. All right. Well, 
It's funny. I feel like we all said must win for about five out of the six games. I think the only one wasn't West Coast Sydney, but and that's just must show effort. But it really goes to show how crazy close of a year this is. It really is must win for all those games that we talked about and all of those teams. So cannot wait to see how it plays out. Speaking of, one of those games has just kicked off. So that is the end of our show, but the start of round 15, which we very much look forward to. Yuri, were there any shows that you wanted to plug before we wrap up? So we've got another show this Sunday, Julian, as well, of course, at the NBA show. We'll be looking at some of the off-season moves. So there have been a couple of big surprises we'll mm. get more into detail about. So really looking forward to it as well and can't wait for it. That's on the Mojo Sports Network. And Nathan, any shows or anything you wanted to plug? I think you've got your Tuesday show as well. Yep, so the boys will do our Tuesday show as well and um, we'll uh, break down the uh, all the must-win games from, from round 15 and uh, and uh, we'll uh, see if there's any tribunal stuff as well because that's always, <laughs> yeah. always, always coming out of every single round. So maybe a few more sling tackles for us to talk about as well. I do listen to that podcast. I very much enjoy it. Um, for those of you who don't listen to it, it's a Tuesday AFL show on the Mojo Sports Network, and they do bring t- together some good news stories, whereas this one is more match previews and fantasy related, which was really great tonight. I, I felt like it was a great chat. We will see you next time on the Mojo Sports Network. Thank you, Yuri and Nathan, for joining us, and good luck to your teams this weekend. Thank you, Julian. Thank you, Nathan. Great chatting. 